This week, I'm speaking with Erin Shrimpton in Dublin. Erin is a chartered organizational psychologist. Erin's website states that she works as a coach and consultant, helping people, teams, and leaders of those teams to change the workplace experience for the better. And that's definitely something that I hold myself to account for, is my coaching, my training, my facilitation, helping to improve the workplace and the work of people in that workplace. Erin's always been interested in the psychology of work, what makes people thrive in work, and why people should and can learn to love their work. As you'll hear, Erin has, just like you and me perhaps, come out of working as an employee, working for herself as a consultant, and then went back into industry and came back out again to work as a consultant. And that's what many of us do. We go in and out of industry, uh, changing roles, but also finding our way back to this wonderful world of training and development. In today's episode, Erin's going to explain how she came to be in the area of training and development. I love sharing these stories with you as listeners. And she's going to give us three key points, which are the key takeaways today. One, why we all need to develop intrinsic reward in our everyday work experience, whether as an employee or a consultant. Two, ways to think in visionary terms, and this is really important when consulting with clients, how can we help them to see the big picture and how can we help ourselves to see that big picture? Why do we do what we do? And thirdly, how we can all, in a practical sense, learn to be optimistic. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Welcome to another episode of the Training Business Podcast. This is the show for coaches, consultants, people starting running their own business in the sphere of learning and development, facilitation, and so on. And the angle of this show is every single week to help you on that journey, whether you're at the beginning or whether you're experienced. And for that reason, we have guests on the show, and sometimes it's just just you and I talking about something to help you with the marketing, sales, or product development of your business, etc. Wherever you are in that journey, you'll find episodes to help you with that journey, and you'll find episodes on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, or something else. You'll also find episodes over at trainingbusiness.com. Can I ask you, therefore, before we go into today's episode with Aaron, to subscribe? It takes a couple of moments, but means the world to me, the team, Joe, Sam, and James, who help bring the episode to life every single week. Erin, hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Let's begin with with your story. Um, Your website is erinshrimpton.com. You are involved in coaching, consulting, and uh, I'd love to know what got you into this business, first of all. How far back should I go? Um, I suppose I... I'm an organizational psychologist, and so I did my psychology degree here in Dublin in Trinity College. And at that point, I decided I needed to experience the big bad world. I'd always been interested in the psychology of work and, you know, what makes people thrive in work? Why is it that people, you know, some people love their work and some people, you know, there's there's such a pervasive message that, you know, work is a bad thing. But actually, for for a lot of people, work is a good thing. And actually, the, the research and evidence shows that work is good for you. So I wanted to kind of delve much deeper into all of the conditions that made work great for people. So I thought I better cut my teeth somewhere (laughs) other than Dublin and get a bit of experience. I moved over to London 
And um, after a few kind of false starts and different temping jobs and that kind of thing, I was really lucky to have my first opportunity in a workplace in Innocent Drinks. Um, and at oh, that yeah. time, so they're the smoothie company um, yeah. who most people across Europe will really recognize as a very familiar brand. It's um, It was one of those places that was one of those kind of really um the one of the original startups if you if you will you know i'll never forget walking in there the first day astroturf on the ground bean bags everywhere free smoothies everywhere people walking around not just in flip-flops but in their bare feet and of course you know there was much more to it than that it was an incredibly powerful brand um absolutely groundbreaking in the way that they did business um, and also the culture there really authentically matched their tone of voice. So I learned so much there, you know, at a very, very young age. It was a totally formative experience. And, you know, I, I could talk for a long time about the things that I learned there. But one of the things, I guess, that I took away with me after I left, I decided because I learned so much about, you know, what makes work great for people there. I decided I really needed to kind of hone my skill and and do my master's then in organizational psychology. So I, I left to do that. But one of the things that I guess I took away from, from there was, you know, if you see a different way of doing things, just go ahead and do it. Just try it. Um, mm. So a, a real entrepreneurial spirit, I suppose. So at this wow. point, you're, you're an employee or you're uh, an outside consultant? I was an employee there. Gotcha. Um, okay. But then I, I went and did my master's and graduated into the 2008 recession. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which was great fun. And I thought, hmm, okay, there weren't very many opportunities at that time in the areas of the things that I would have been interested in, learning and development, culture change. You know, there was there was a lot of kind of pause on budget on all of those things, and especially for some sort of more at a graduate level. Um, so I decided to take what I'd learned from my innocent days and just thought, right, you know what? Just go for it. Just find different opportunities. And, you know, I could have, I guess I could have gone in and applied for graduate roles, but I decided I kind of wanted to pave my own way. So I did. So I went um, and I spent most of the rest of my time in London uh, working across different sectors and industries. So um, my first few years, I did some contracts in the civil service there in the cabinet office, DWP. Um, Then I kind of went back into private sector, did some associate work with consultancies like Great Place to Work. And then I got some of my own uh, individual, my own clients as well. So I got to work with police forces and big tech companies and all in the area. I I kind of honed it down all in the area around culture change. So again, I was kind of keeping that purpose with me. What makes work great for people? I worked a little bit in work and well-being, but I ultimately discovered, you know, at the end of the day, People aren't going to be well at work unless the culture is right. Okay. Um, so that's where I ended up focusing. And then fast forward a few years, I um, started a family, moved back to Dublin, decided I wanted to, I, I spent a bit of time then employed and worked in HR and a big HR um, department, but decided I want to get back. I wanted to get back into this kind of consulting and coaching. And okay, so let me stop you there. So I've got if I've got this right, you, you worked first of all for Innocent Drinks. Yep. You cut your teeth there, uh, and then you decided to go solo for a while. And then you did some contracting, principally in the UK, uh, yes. with uh, the DWP, which I think for people listening is the Department of Work and Pensions, right? That's uh, government, but also some uh, public sector stuff. 
And then um, you came back to Dublin, did some work in HR as an employee again. Is that right? And as an employee this time, yep. Right. And then you said, hey, consulting's calling again. I still feel like doing my own thing. And then you've, you, you got back on the road into your own contracting. So that's you worked as an associate and, and also for direct clients. Yes. And, gotcha. Okay. And that's, that's a reasonably recent development that I've sort okay. of gone back into the space of mm-hmm. um, you know, consulting and working for myself again. I, so, what, so what called you back? I'm curious. What made you go from a HR role back out into the world of, of consulting? Uh, I I really valued the time that I spent internally in the organization. I learned huge amounts there. But I guess one of the things that I find when, you know, when you're working in this type of a role is that I think you need to be impartial and Mm. to be able to really add value. um, You know, you can't really be commenting on the system as well as being part of the system. It just isn't. Okay. And I think as well, you know, the type of work that I do is all around culture change. And again, when you're kind of trying to drive culture change and you're part of the culture, <laughs> it's harder. And um, now that's not to say that I don't think it's possible. And especially one of the things that I try to coach um, leaders of teams particularly on is, is that, you know, it is absolutely possible if you're a leader of a team to find things about your culture, with, even just within your team that you can change and drive and make better. Okay. Um, but I think when you're working at an organizational level, you know, and especially in the type of work that I do, I prefer being kind of external so that I can kind of look at it, as I said, impartially and objectively. So, um, and I got this opportunity with LinkedIn Learning to design courses with them. And it really called me. It's the type of work that I absolutely love to do. I was nervous about it. I didn't think it was necessarily um, going to fit for me. But actually, when I started working on creating that content, I realized, ah, I think this is might have been what I've been, you know, working my way up towards all this time. Um, so kind of collecting all this information or collecting all this knowledge that I've and experience that I've that I've built over these years. And I've been able to kind of weave it together to create content and, and do this, these learning courses. So. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions. So your areas, reading from your website, which is erinshrimpton.com, include team culture and engagement, stakeholder engagement, culture analysis, people and culture strategy. So very quickly, what kinds of organizations do you feel yourself most drawn towards? The organizations that genuinely want to invest in their people and see their people as their greatest asset. Gotcha. They're the ones that I... Okay. You know, and you can you can always tell that pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the ones. And, and you know, often you you go in, and I as as you just said, I I do culture analyses, and you know, you can always one of, one of the the ways I do a culture analysis is literally I call it the walk around. I go into an organization and I walk around. Now, this is pre-pandemic and obviously when most people were in an office. So this this part of it is a bit harder now. But I used to go in and literally just, you know, as an independent observer, just walk around and see how people are interacting with one another, what the vibe is, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you can pick up on these things pretty easily um and so those yeah those are the things that i um the types of organizations that i'm really drawn to more public sector or more private sector a a real mix it's a real mix um how do you market yourself primarily how do you get leads to your business probably through linkedin is my biggest okay um 
the biggest way at the moment. Um, I, I suppose the part of the story that I haven't told yet is, you know, after I had I've got two little boys, after I had my second, um, that's when I decided to move from, you know, in my in-house role into consulting again. And I've been going a bit slowly with it because, you know, at the end of the day, I have small children, one of which isn't even in school yet. It's hard to, you know, then we had the pandemic and I think I'm speaking for a lot of parents out there when I say, you know, the last couple of years have been really, really hard to be able to kind of really show up in the workplace and do your best work when you are faced with constant childcare dilemmas as I have and as we have in this family. You know, so actually I, I've noticed that I found myself not pushing as much as I probably could. So that's the stage I'm at right now. I kind of, mm. my website, I could definitely do with improving it. I could definitely do with honing what, I, what I'm saying on my website and, you know, crafting uh, my proposition much better. I could do a lot more on LinkedIn. Um, but actually for now, I'm, I'm at the stage where I'm kind of, okay, actually this is fine for now. I've got the work on LinkedIn learning and I'm doing some, the, the work that I'm primarily doing at the moment is I've done a couple of keynote speeches this year. I'm okay. doing. Um, How did you get those? I'm curious. Let's share that with the audience. How did you actually land those keynote speeches? I guess a combination of the profile that I have with LinkedIn Learning. Um, yeah. When organizations and L&D experts might see my course on LinkedIn Learning, they might think, ah, that, that course or that message resonates with something that we want uh, to be spoken about at, at a um, at an upcoming event and you know the, the types of courses that I have one is around preparing yourself for change it's all about equipping people to deal with uncertainty and I actually wrote it just before the pandemic and then kind of honed it during the pandemic but it, it, that obviously has been quite a resonant message for people <laughs> right now um, and so yeah it's, it's through that and then through I started an, a LinkedIn newsletter oh. last October right so uh, how does that work? I've, I haven't talked to anyone about that yet on the show. Let, let, so let's share that with the audience. It's really simple. Uh, okay. it's, it's a functionality on LinkedIn, which everybody has access to now. Mm-hmm. And it's very simple. You can, when you go into LinkedIn, there's a bit that says post or article. In that, it gives you the option to create a newsletter. So you can brand it yourself. And, I mean, I just did a very low fi kind of, I just kind of created my own little graphic and um, I call it work, but better. So it's, for me, it's all about the things that you can do as an individual or if you're leading a team to make work better on a day-to-day basis. You know, I have this real belief that, you know, sometimes we get caught in a big organization and it's challenging and it's maybe a toxic culture, um, but we can't leave. So what can we do? What can we do that is in our own power to change? So that's mm. the kind of the theme of the newsletter. And I, I have a, um, a close colleague and, and friend, Gemma Lee Roberts, who is also a LinkedIn learning instructor, and she has a phenomenal uh, newsletter and mm-hmm. Mindset Matters, also on LinkedIn. And her, she just encouraged me. She just said, Aaron, just do it, you know, just do this. Yeah. You know, you sometimes just need somebody to tell you to do these things because otherwise I was going, oh, yeah. no, no, I wouldn't be. I couldn't do that. I couldn't possibly do that. She encouraged me to do it. And so I just started and I publish once every two weeks. So it's not, you know, it's it's not a huge commitment, although I actually have taken a pause during these summer summer months. I'll refer back to my children who are in all sorts of camps and, you know, it's, it's busy time <laughs> during the summer months. So I just thought actually I'll just take that, that out of the equation for a few weeks. Um, so 
Uh, but I, you know, I, I started it and it's gained a bit of traction now. And it's been great because I do think some of the things that I put out there has has had a kind of a resonance. And I've had a couple of clients get in touch and say, oh, I really like what you said in this newsletter. Can you create a workshop around that for me? So right. that's been, yeah, that's that that was they those were the moments where I thought, okay, this is this is worth doing this. And actually, to be honest with you as well, Mark, I wrote a post about this on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. I realize I really enjoy writing those newsletters as well. So I sort of also do it as a way, even if it doesn't lead to any, you know, direct client work, it's 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 helping me to hone my copywriting, it's helping me to hone my content creation, and I glean intrinsic value from it in that I find myself really actually just being fulfilled by doing the task itself. And, and you know, I, I posted about that a couple of weeks ago, because I think that's something that we all need to find more of in our day to day is just doing things that we actually just enjoy doing and don't really care what the outcomes is because the task itself is sort of fulfilling. Yeah. I'd love to dig into that more another time. I think that, um, that that's almost an episode in itself. You're the first person I've talked about uh, talked to about uh, LinkedIn newsletters. But one of the reasons I asked you on the show in your capacity as a consultant is to share with listeners uh, three key tips. And um, one of those is, if we start on that, is uh, the idea of finding intrinsic reward in your everyday. And that sounds to me like that's something you get from writing. Mm. Um, so... Your tips today are to find intrinsic reward in your everyday. I'm reading these right now. Think in visionary terms and to learn optimism and the surprising first step in building it. So maybe tying into what you do as a consultant uh, for people listening who are just like us, consultants slash trainers. Um, Let's go through your tips then together. So what do you mean by find intrinsic reward in your everyday? So for this one, and I've, I've... Um, lifted these tips out of one of my LinkedIn learning courses, which is called Use an Entrepreneurial Mindset to Mm -hmm. Find Success and Fulfillment. And I designed that for people who are in organizations, but want to kind of think a bit differently about how to be successful in that organization and also how to find fulfillment in their their roles. And I I guess um, one of the things, because I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurial people over the course of my my career, I actually started to pick out the things that I've seen in entrepreneurs that they do and how they motivate themselves is one is one particular area. Then, it, then it's around how they respond to the world and also then how they face to the future. So, so let's start with that intrinsic reward, like how okay. do they motivate themselves? And one thing I notice is that they don't, they're not just motivated. You know, so the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation is extrinsic motivation, and we all we all need a bit of extrinsic motivation. It's that motivation that comes from getting an external external reward. You know, mm-hmm. finish this piece of work and I'll go down and get myself a chocolate snack bar. I'll, you know, I, I'll, I'll win that, I'll win that client and, you know, I'll fix the tap in my bathroom. I'll, you know, all of these extrinsic rewards or even, you know, just the, the, uh, the acknowledgement from a colleague of doing, having done a good job. But yeah. these are all coming externally. Intrinsic reward and intrinsic motivation comes from inside ourselves. So it has to come from the, 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 the joy, the fulfillment of the task itself. 
so yeah, so I would say that writing my newsletter is, is a great example of that. And actually, my first my first newsletter was about this concept called job crafting, which is really all about crafting your job so you can find more intrinsic reward in your day to day. And I thought to myself, oh, I better practice what I preach on this. So I started drawing little doodles to kind of represent some of the ideas that I was putting across there. And I found that actually just writing, just drawing and, they, you know, they're not particularly good. They're, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly artistic, but they, they do get the message across. And I found that actually creating these things gave me that intrinsic reward that I needed. And it made me think, you know, everybody needs to have, even in your day to day, just little things that you do that actually just find intrinsic reward in or that you, you're allowed that yeah. allow you to get into flow. And so as, as consultants, as people who are self-employed, um, we get validation from the work we do from people's uh let's say nice words, their their compliments. Uh, yeah. even the even money is some kind of extrinsic reward. It's it's a validation of our ability to communicate value to our clients. But what you're saying is that we need to also get some kind of intrinsic reward that uh springs from an internal place yes um, the and purpose think, of our work our our what we get from being exactly. who we are as consultants absolutely and i think we we get a bit hung up now on cap, uh, purpose with a capital p you know the big yeah. the grand purpose and sometimes you know i speak to people and they go I'm actually sure like do i have a purpose Whereas actually, if you break it down into the every day, you know, there are things that you can find meaning in in, in an everyday capacity. Uh, the job citing, the job crafting experts, um, Amy Rosnetsky and Jane Dutton cite a lovely example about hospital janitors who crafted their jobs and found that once they started to uh, speak to their to the people in the hospital, speak to the patients in the hospital more, and they actually found that they found a lot more meaning in their day-to-day mm. because they, mm. although that, yes, ostensibly their job was to, you know, maybe clean the floor, they found that actually interacting with people and giving them, um, just giving that, that bit of human connection gave them more meaning in their day-to-day. So it's whatever it is to you, it takes reflection because it has to be sort of aligned with your own values, aligned with your strengths. That's another important one because usually you'll find intrinsic reward from something that you do that you're quite good at. You know, yeah, so for sure. it takes connection to come up with, well, what is it that I value? What is it that I am good at? And how can I really break that down into a granular level and find mm-hmm. tasks that I can do on a daily basis that will give me that reward? That's not to say, you know, we all have to do our taxes. We all have to do the things that like I, I, I cite that as an example because that's the thing that I can't stand doing. I find that really I need to give myself lots of extrinsic rewards to get my to get me to do that. But it's so it's, you know, the psychology of it is that it's all about trying to balance, you know, everybody needs extrinsic reward as well. We all need, you know, we're not perfect. We all need the promise of something to kind of something dangling on a stick that we can that we can shoot for. But, you know, I do notice I have noticed over the years that uh, the successful entrepreneurs are the ones that find tasks that really motivate them intrinsically. Gotcha. Number two, think in visionary terms. Again, these are. Uh, ones we're sharing with our audience today, people like us. Um, so you say that you know we need to not get too hung up on perhaps um, I'm making perhaps a hash of this here, but but not being too tactical. Uh, often, what actually motivates us when we're working for ourselves is the vision, perhaps yeah. the life that we want to build for ourselves, uh, and in doing so, we we achieve greater autonomy and and self determination. 
So again, thinking of the audience in mind here, what does that mean? Think in visionary terms. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that, again, I noticed about entrepreneurs is that I worked with is that they Mm. talk in visionary terms an awful lot. So this isn't just about creating a vision. And, you know, if you have a vision that you can articulate in a couple of lines, that's brilliant. But often people get too hung up on trying to come up with that vision statement for themselves. Whereas actually, if you think more in visionary terms, like the way I put it is, think about how things could be rather than how they are or how they always have been or how they should be. And, you know, that's something I've noticed, particularly as I mentioned, innocent drinks earlier, that's something that we were really, it was really drilled into us. You know, we don't have to do things as they are. Let's think about how they could be. And it's really beneficial so it's obviously beneficial to a business and a big organization. But for people work, like us working individually, it is also beneficial because it helps you to deal with things like the uncertainty. You know, that's one of the things that I've grappled with over the years is always having that uncertainty. You know, where's my next paycheck coming from? Hmm. My um, next client. Yeah. My next client. Exactly. Um, one of the things, uh, obviously, over the last couple of years, we've all been living in this kind of heightened sense of, the fear response, you know, that uncertainty that's, that's come with everything to do with the pandemic. And uh, thinking of visionary turns just changes our focus a little bit. It changes the kind of focus from everything is feeling a little, you know, difficult right now to thinking about, okay, well, let's, let's think to the future and how it could be. It also helps you to focus in on opportunities. So when you think more in visionary terms, you so that might be a bit hazy in that it might be it might not be an exactly articulated vision, but it helps to then hone it down and articulate your goals more effectively. And once you've articulated, as you well know, once you've articulated your goals, that's where you know your your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain uh, that is in charge of rational thought and decision making, it actually hones in on opportunities in in your environment to actually. Uh, get into to that vision and to reach to help you to reach yeah. that, goal, that vision. So there's loads of benefits for people like us, but I always also at the moment say it doesn't matter if you don't have that vision right now, like don't forget where we've come from over the last couple of years. So, you know, think of this time. And I, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, I'm really very much thinking of this time as, as, as a way of, as kind of working at what it is that I want. So I'm mm. visionary, visionary thinking is all about, um, Patterns of visionary thought, you know, connecting dots to create visionary thought and patterns of visionary thought. But you have to, before you connect those dots, you have to collect them. So I'm thinking about, well, how, what are the different things that I'm collecting here that will help me form that vision? So, yeah. Yeah. So that's just a way of reminding yourself that if you don't have a perfect vision or if you're struggling to think in visionary terms, don't forget the last couple of years have been tricky. You might just be kind of thinking about, okay, you know, the next couple of months and that's okay. This might be your time to be collecting all the different dots that you're going to form a pattern with in the future. So as as consultants, as facilitators, as people running our own business, understandably, we can get bogged down in the day-to-day. It's sometimes hard to to not to feel overwhelmed by that. Again, taxes, as you've mentioned, uh, chasing clients, marketing ourselves, doing the work, planning, training, running projects, workshops, etc. But what's important is the vision, because I agree with you, that to me is the anchor. I've definitely a vision for my business, uh, three to four years time. But even if we don't have that vision, um, we still have to enjoy the work. We still have to feel that 
Uh, and I know that's one of the reasons why I work for myself is that I, I have that sense of autonomy yeah. and self-determination that, that motivates me. So your tip, third tip today is, is to learn optimism. Um, as Simon Sinek says, you told me optimism is, is not the denial of reality. And, and Simon Sinek, many of us will know, gave that famous talk on, on start with why. Mm. Um, so what's your tip here again, thinking of, of uh, self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches in mind? Well, I think one of the, you know, we all, if you're working um, for yourself, you absolutely have to be optimistic, don't you? Because <laughs> yeah. it would be hard to get out of bed otherwise. But I think one of the things, you know, when you delve into the research about optimism, one of the things that I found really fascinating is when you hear optimism, you think it's, it's all about hope for the future, right? And, but actually when you delve into it, optimism is a skill that can be learned and it's the direct opposite of what Martin Seligman, who's the founder of the positive psychology movement, called yes. learned helplessness. So, yes. um, which is, you know, the idea that, you know, if you just keep on trying to do something and you don't succeed, you just give up trying. And he discovered, well, actually, the opposite is true. You know, we can hope, we can change our focus from, as human beings, we've got this predisposition to a negativity bias. We've got, you know, that yeah. negative chatter in our minds is literally an evolutionary, <laughs> you might call it a flaw, but it actually is key to our successful evolution because mm-hmm. we need to get out into the world and detect what's going on around us. And if there's anything negative in our presence, we need to be honed in on it. However, obviously in our day-to-day lives, that doesn't serve us well. So one of the interesting things about optimism and how to learn optimism is actually to first of all really hone into that that those negative thoughts to accept that there are negative things going on that there are not less than ideal things happening right now you know mm-hmm. and and even to tune into it as well i think you know we, we it, some of those thoughts can happen uh, at such a subconscious level that actually sometimes some of us don't even notice that they're there so the first thing that uh, seligman suggests is to just Make sure you're tuning into those negative thoughts and accept them. Give them room. You know, give that. Don't deny them. So, if we're concerned about where our next client's coming from, don't ignore it. Uh, be yeah. conscious of it. Address it. Speak to it. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Give it that time of day because mm-hmm. then it'll maybe once it's you know you've given it that time, it'll give it an opportunity to to maybe quieten down. And then it's all about challenging. Of course, you know, doing a bit of challenging of those thoughts. You know, well, I've been here before, and a client came around the corner. The following week so you know it's all about finding ways to challenge and and um and address those thoughts and then to promote the more helpful thoughts so this is where then you the more mm. the, the kind of more familiar ideas about optimism start to come into the process you know and these are steps that i would use with clients and then i use with myself to be with yourself right yes yeah <laughs> to remind myself <laughs> you know accept the negative challenge the negative and then promote the more helpful thoughts so i i say when i'm talking about this i kind of I use the analogy of imagine, you know, uh, the stage in Vegas and and that your negative chatter has that lifelong residency. It's always there. You know, it'll be that big in lights uh, center stage where you need to promote, you know, the little support act, which is your more positive thoughts. (laughs) You need to really give those the time of day. And, um, and, you know, I think especially, you know, it can be hard uh, when you are constantly having to self-promote. Sometimes you run out of energy for that, don't you? So um, little things that I do is, you know, if a client gives me uh, good feedback on something, I have a little spreadsheet just on my desktop. And if I'm finding one of those days where I'm thinking, this is hard work, I open it up and I just have a look at some of the positive feedback that I've had in the past. And actually that does help give you a bit of a boost. And so 
there are ways to do it and, and just little little kind of um, mindset shifts, I suppose, from rem- rem- remembering to acknowledge those negative thoughts, but then promote them more positive. And I like it because there's a whole, you know, um, way of thinking at the moment about toxic positivity, which I absolutely buy into. You know, I think we even the positive psychology movement in itself, I think, is sort of badly branded because it's actually not just about being positive. Um, it's about finding the way that we can, the ways that we can flourish really. And, and, and you know, um, so what I, when I talk about optimism, I'm always really keen to say, it's okay if you have these kind of negative thoughts and it give them some space, because I think that's, sure. really, you know, we're re- we have to be realist. I mean, we're, we're helping other businesses. So we've got yes. to be realistic about what, uh, what is not right and what we can do to fix it. But at the same time, when we're working and trying to find clients and and appeal to them and get them to hire us, we also need to come across as optimistic. Uh, no one wants to hire negative people, right? Absolutely. So you kind of need to you need to create that space for yourself where you get that yeah. all out almost in the privacy of your own office, <laughs> and then you and it does work. You know, it does work. I remember it rained very, very, very heavily on my wedding day. And uh, what did I expect? I got married in Wicklow in Ireland. So, you know, uh, although it was in the middle of August, but anyway. Um, and I remember getting into the wedding car with my de- my new husband. And, you know, I said to him, you're just going to need to give me five minutes to be upset about this. And once I've had five minutes, I've, I, once I've had that five minutes, I will be absolutely, I'll be delighted with myself. And, and you know, and like right. before we then got to all the guests. And of course, then by the time I got to all the guests and the rest of the day, I had a brilliant time. But I... I, and I didn't know at the time about the steps, you know, in, in learning optimism. But actually, when I when I think about that example, I realized that's exactly what I was up to. <laughs> it sounds almost like uh, Professor Steve Peters' book, um, The Chimp Paradox, where he's effectively saying, um, when you're having a bad day, and we all have bad days, there are times when clients have said to me that that lesson plan stinks or... Uh, someone on your course uh, is complaining this wasn't covered. It's it would be unrealistic to ignore that. Yeah. Uh, we have to address it. So what what Steve Peters says, if I can paraphrase him, is that this is the chimp, this is the amygdala, the part of the brain that perhaps overreacts to external things and then almost makes them into a, a big deal. But ignoring it is is the raw is the wrong thing to do. We should address it. Speak to that chimp. Let it get back in the box and then as you say, uh, come back to the now focusing on, on, the, on the positive side of things. This will go away. I will attract a better client. People will like my next workshop, all that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so it. to learn optimism, it's not going to come to us. No. And you, exactly. You're not yeah. you're just from saying to yourself, oh, let's be optimistic or I'm going to try and be more hopeful about the future. That's not going to work, is it? You all, we all know that. So there are yeah. these steps that I would, you know, I would really advocate doing. So, question is, where can we find out more about you, Erin? I hang out mostly on LinkedIn. Uh, I have to say that's my kind of social media of choice at the moment. I do a little bit on Instagram, but I'm much more... I, I do enjoy, as I said, I enjoy the content creation on LinkedIn. And uh, I do have my website, erinshrimpton.com as well. So that's... So that's E-R-I-N-S-H-R-I-M-P-T-O-N.com. That's it. My sincere thanks to... Erin, for being my guest today on the show. And of course, thanks to you for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. There is, of course, a fresh episode next week. You can check out Erin Shrimpton on LinkedIn. 
and you'll find her courses as well online. There is a fresh episode next week, so I know you'll tune in for that on Thursday. Please let others know, let others know about the show because this is done for you. It's it's at no cost to you. So helping others by letting them know about the show and what it's there for will really help me to help you with episodes of the show. If you've not yet subscribed, please click subscribe. It takes a couple of seconds and helps really to get the word out about the show. Until next Thursday, keep going, keep training, keep selling. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.